At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. Support for WABE comes from Capital Good Fund, introducing Georgia Bright Solar Lease Program, a new rooftop solar initiative designed to create pathways to equitable and inclusive solar, sustainability, and monthly savings for Georgians. Learn more at georgiabright.org. In Atlanta, this is City Lights. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. This Saturday, the Silver Scream Spook Show presents the 90-year-old film King Kong at the Plaza Theater. Later this hour, City Lights senior producer Kim Drobe speaks with the co-producers, Professor Morte, a.k.a. Shane Morton, and Guna, also known as Madeline Brumby. First, for many film viewers, picking out something to watch often means scrolling indecisively through pages of algorithmically filtered options on a streaming service at home. The days of blockbuster video are behind us, But a few true cinephiles are keeping the brick-and-mortar video rental experience alive. Matthew Booth is the owner of Atlanta's beloved video store, Videodrome. And he joins me now via Zoom to talk about how his store has remained a community fixture for so many years. Matt, welcome to City Lights. Thanks for having me. Please share with us the story of how you and your co-founder, Jeff Sutton, decided to open Videodrome 25 years ago. I moved to Atlanta in 1996. I had graduated from UGA, and I've always been kind of a hung around or worked in video stores and record stores. And I just didn't have a lot of job opportunities in Atlanta. And I was, I took on a position with a corporate video store at the time that was in the old Rio mall. If you remember that. Oh yes. (laughs) So it's kind of strange (laughs) fixture that was on Piedmont and North at the, um, where that Publix is now. Yeah. Not far from you. Yeah. So that was a movies at the time. It was all, cow-themed video store, which is... <laughs> Wait, were were yeah. they cow-themed movies? All the sections were like Moo releases and Moo done it. And, oh. uh, and you were supposed to wear a cow vest, which everyone hid under the counter <laughs> until, <laughs> until a corporate executive called or came in. Somebody liked cows. Yeah, it was a, I think it was a Midwest. It was based from Minnesota or something. So there, it kind of made sense, <laughs> I guess, from that area but that was the time when a lot of there were a lot of corporate video stores and they were just expanding and expanding so that store almost immediately got taken over by another store called video update 
And they moved me to the little Five Points location over on Moreland, which they had a big store there. Um, it's now like a Sherman Williams. People probably recognize it. And I was a manager at that store. I met Jeff Sutton. He was also an employee at that store. We kind of fell in love with that little Five Points neighborhood and really enjoyed the, cu the customers that came in, interacted with a lot of businesses there. Like, you know, that store was, it was good, but it wasn't, that neighborhood had a real appetite for independent and foreign films. And that organization just didn't fulfill that need. So we were like, how can we start our own place that sort of meets, you know, that's more tuned with this area or the, the customers in this area. And uh, we started looking around for a space. We took our VHS collections and combined them. We started buying VHS, collecting VHS, and we we got lucky in uh, our current location at uh, North Island and North Avenue. They they gave us a shot. The landlord gave us a shot, and we've been there ever since. <laughs> well, I think it was more than luck. You provide such an enriching experience for people coming into this store. Chris Escobar of the Atlanta Film Society and owner of the Plaza Theater said, it's like walking into a restaurant where everyone is a chef. Yeah, I mean, that's the idea. We're, we want to be this curated mix, you know, of films. We want to be this film library. Yeah, Chris is great. He's been a real supporter of us. He's a friend of mine. He's a, you know, I, I love talking to him and he's a really inspiring person too. The way that he goes about, you know, he's always, he's always up to something. He's always trying to expand his business. He's always trying to um, move things forward. All for the love of film. Well, with all that threatens brick and mortar video rental stores in the age of streaming, along with Atlanta's rising rent prices, it's a huge testament to the city's love for Videodrome that you're still in operation. Beyond all of those challenges, how on earth did Videodrome survive the pandemic? Yeah, the pandemic was a weird time. We weren't sure what to do exactly. You know, all the right away, they there were city, state, county regulations about shutting down retail stores, about what could be open, what could be not, essential businesses versus non-essential. We contacted our city councilman, Amir Faroqi, and, and told him we had this plan to just like shut down the inside of the store. And we put a table across the door and just kind of had a window set up so that we took our orders, um, emails, phone, and then just walk up. And had things ready for customers when they, you know, when they came up as much as possible so they could just pick things up and go. He was good with that. So he let us keep, you know, told us that he thought that we were within the, you know, rules to keep operating. So we did that. We still had a, you know, we obviously had a drop, drop in business because that was the, you know, a big part of our store is browsing. It's, a, it's just big a part of who we are is browsing. So once that was gone, we had to figure out a way through social media to keep informing people about what we had, you know, what, what they, what we had to offer, what they could get, what was coming out new, what would they be interested in older films. And we did have do a decent amount of business during COVID just through walk up, but we also sold a lot of t-shirts. That was a big part of COVID was that we went online, we started a Shopify store, we put as much of our stuff 
um, available for sale as possible. And we sold a lot of t-shirts and then we did apply for, we got some help from the state and the city and the federal government. Great. Well, no pretense about being essential frontline workers, but reality is a lot of people were stranded in their homes and it was a welcome service you were providing. That's what we argued, yeah, that people needed entertainment. <laughs> Indeed. How many individual titles does Videodrome have? Right now we have about 8,000 Blu-rays and then we have a thousand dvds as far as individual titles it's probably cl close to 25 or thirty thousand, somewhere in there it's it's a little hard to tell exactly about end of it because we have doubles of a lot of things but still that is enormous i mean way beyond anything a streaming service would have i think yeah every streaming service is a little different they do they do have a lot of titles it's just whether they have titles you know from a lot of their titles, nothing's older than the year 2000, so they don't have a lot of foreign stuff. They don't have a lot of independent stuff. They're just, most of their content is going to be newish sort of releases that have come out in the last 10 to 15 years. I bet any movie lover in Atlanta who has been in your store can remember a great conversation they've had with a Videodrome employee about a film. You've said before that you consider yourself a curator as much as a business owner. How do you set up this store with an eye toward introducing people to great movies they might never otherwise see? We have the store in categories, but we, we try to make it as nerdy as possible. So we're, we're, <laughs> we're constantly micro categorizing making these micro sections and micro genres and the idea would be that if you find something in a section that there'll be more stuff like that you know right near it so you a lot of people are just kind of working their way through maybe like a a folk horror section or a shot on video section or action trash or whatever they're you know interested in at this moment we have a lot of these like tiny you know, curated specific. And then we also have a section of directors. So a lot of times people go through film like that, where they'll get into a director and they'll just work their way through their work and we have them all together. Would you share a few of the unexpected categorizing of movies, the way you have made those subcategories? I mean, some of my favorite categories are Italian horror, like Hong Kong action is one of my all-time favorites. American Independent. We have stuff, you know, like Korean crime films, 70s American crime films, samurai films. Let's see, indie horror, pre-code classic movies has become like kind of a thing that people are into lately. Asian horror is always a big deal. Yeah, we have as many small categories as we can get. We're always sort of subcategorizing things. See, you, you have the human algorithm from your vast knowledge. It's, it's definitely a reflection of our customers and then, you know, our staff. So there's been a growing use of the app Letterboxd in the last like 10 years or so. And that's, and people are making these lists and categorizing things in these smaller and smaller categories all the time. And it kind of shows you what you've watched and what you haven't watched in, in a certain genre. And that's really kind of helped us because people come in 
it shows you exactly what you haven't seen. You put it in your watch list and then you have, you know exactly what you want when you come in. Well, technology can be helpful. Yeah, it's been great. I mean, the internet's made um, sort of the cinephile culture explode. That part is good. That part's fantastic. If you are just joining us, this is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes, speaking with Videodrome owner Matthew Booth. Talking about format, does Videodrome still keep a big collection of VHS? Space is an issue for us. So we, at one time, we sold the majority of our VHS collection to switch over to DVD. But we do carry VHS for sale, and we do run some events every now and then. We're having a um, like a VHS swap with a bunch of different vendors at Plaza, and we're going to show up film 1993 Leprechaun off VHS onto the big screen at Plaza and on March 5th of this year. We are trying to be involved in VHS culture, but VHS, they take up a lot of room. There is like a culture around them, but it's mostly centered around 80s horror, you know, 80s and 90s horror. And that's the people who are into VHS. It's, it's a kind of a retro, you know, thing that people are into. <laughs> but Matt, does it go beyond the nostalgia? Because I was wondering if it's comparable to audiophiles enjoying vinyl record listening. I mean, it is similar in that way. I grew up in the VHS era i'm personally happy that that blu-rays are here because blu-rays are such a great product and films are always shown in their proper form you know they're generally like have had a restoration they're framed correctly the sound is amazing they have extras on them but there is sort of i guess a i i think a lot of vhs collecting is more like it's like an art piece it's something to have on your shelf but but then there's also people who do prefer to see it nostalgically in the way that they saw it at that time it's a nostalgic factor more than like, you know, a visual audio upgrade. Or... Indeed. Now, the name Videodrome comes from David Cronenberg's cult sci-fi horror film of 1983. Why did you want to choose that name for the store? I mean, if you've seen the film, it's it's sort of all about technology and it's and media and its effect on the human brain. So I kind of like those themes. And then at the time we were all VHS, there's a there's a sort of a VHS connection in that film. There's a big scene with a VHS. I just thought it was a cool name for a store. I've always been a fan of Cronenberg's films. He, he never, you know, ceases to amaze me. Like, or, you know, and so, I don't know, at the time we, we, we wrote down a lot of names and I just kept going back to that one. And the wordplay. I mean, the fact that you yeah. were renting videos. Yeah, it made more sense as a VHS store. But <laughs> <laughs> This may be a difficult question for you to answer because of your encyclopedic cinephile knowledge, but can you tell us a few of your all-time favorite movies? I can. I mean, I, I especially always have favorite genres, but as far as individual films, I kind of always go back and think of those films that like, there's films in my life that like changed the way I thought about things or, you know, just hit me at this perfect time and like changed my outlook on life. I think earliest, you know, when I was a kid, 
I was really into sci-fi and like seeing edited versions of things like Planet of the Apes and Logan's Run and I just really got my imagination going, made me want to start reading sci-fi, getting into sci-fi. And I, I've always been kind of a science fiction fan ever since then. Coming through high school, I was mostly like a, you know, more of an action horror sci-fi fan of movies. And I got to college and got exposed to some, the, my for the first time, to some independent and some foreign films. Two films in like the early 90s, Hal Hartley's Trust and Unbelievable Truth. And they, they suddenly, it was like someone like me was making a film, you know, someone with my political outlook or, I don't know, I, I just felt like my friends had made a film at that time. And it, it, it suddenly, that opened a whole new world to independent film. And around that same time, I saw um, One Car Wise, Chunky Express, and that opened a whole world of foreign films to me, you know? I mean, I had worked at video stores but when I was growing up, but they didn't have a lot of foreign or independent films. So I, that was a whole genre that I didn't even know existed. Is there a single film that has been rented more often than any other by Videodrome customers? Our number one renter of all time is Haozu, which is like a, a Japanese horror film from the 60s. Um, it's like a crazy mix of horror comedy. It's just a really fun cult film that has a following that Criterion put out I don't know, 20 years ago, and it's always, it's just been a hit ever since for us. Outside of that, Videodrome it always rents at the store. The, you know, the Cronenberg section does really well. The David Lynch section does really well. Some of those, like, all-time sort of cult directors are also, you know, really high on that list. Mm. I want to think your future is looking good. Has the film industry boom here in Atlanta boosted your customer base or is it just creating economic strain as rent goes up we've been lucky on rent our landlord's been very fair with our rent that's one of the reasons we're still here but no it's definitely helped us we get a lot of people you know that work on films sometimes some actors some some directors some like pas trying to rent six movies for a director that he or she that director's got a got an idea about what they want to make and you know needs some like inspiration and they they have six seven films they they want to go through and to do some research so yeah i mean i think the film culture overall has definitely helped us i mean i hear all the time that people working on sets you know they they're like oh i saw a video drum sure and i saw you know i keep we talk about video drum all the time on set so yeah i think it's really helped us well and and what a tribute to you all yeah it's great i mean i Seeing shirts around town is one of my favorite things. <laughs> Have you made any friendships or any repeated visit from some of those film industry folks? Yeah, I, even when I go to Los Angeles now, I have some contacts now. And I, I went to the film the Turner Film Festival last year, and I met up with a couple of people that were customers that I'm now friends with. Wonderful. You know, some of this seems encouraging in the way that I've been reading about the resurgence of indie bookstores in the wake of the big box stores like Borders closing, and of course with Amazon as the behemoth that is. Do you think there is hope for the likes of Videodrome stores in the same way that people enjoy patronizing indie bookstores? I do. 
I mean, there's a huge boom in boutique Blu-ray collecting right now. So there's all these boutique level or labels out there and they're all sort of creating this amazing product that people are engulfing at the moment. So I know personally a couple of video stores, one in Austin and one in Los Angeles that are about to reopen that had shut down for a while. And then I've talked to a few other people around the country that are trying to open stores at the moment too. So I'm hoping that there's a way for video stores to survive. It might not be the same. It's not going to be that, you know, corporate video store with 50 copies of everything on the new release wall and nothing else. But I think it'll be something more like us, like a curated, you know, store. Great. You mentioned a screening of Leprechaun at the plaza coming up. I know Videodrome hosts film screenings in town. Where and when can we catch these? Yeah, we, we show movies just around the third Thursday of every month at Plaza Theater. How can fans of the store engage besides coming in and spending money? What else can we do? I mean, hit us up on social media. We love to talk about films on there, too. We have a Letterboxd. We have a Instagram. We have, you know, a, a Facebook, a, a Twitter it's fun to interact on there. We have a, a Shopify store on our website that you could buy our mer- merchandise, you know. I mean, we, we'll talk about films anywhere. It's been 25 years since you opened. Are there plans for a 25th anniversary celebration? We're working on it. I think we'll have one. Our, our official anniversary is somewhere in the summer, prior, around July was when we opened. So we're looking to have one end of summer maybe toward October. So uh, just keep an eye on our Instagram. We'll, we'll have a party. We've had a, we had a 15 year party and a 20 year party. So we're planning on 25. That was Matthew Booth, the owner of Videodrome in Atlanta. More information about the iconic Atlanta video store is on our website, wabe.org slash City Lights. In a moment, our series Speaking of Music today features DJ Applejack amplifying Atlanta. This is WABE. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for joining me.
it's time now for our segment, Speaking of Music, where we get to hear from Atlanta musicians in their own words. Hi, my name is DJ Applejack from Decatur, Georgia. As a DJ, I try to play from all over the spectrum, all styles of music, all types of music, and just try to really engage people and as well as kind of put people up on things that they may not know about. In terms of instruments, I play by ear, so anything I sit in front of long enough, I think I can figure it out. I mean, I have a pretty musical family. My father sang in a lot of gospel quartets. Uh, I started out playing the drums at like four years old. So that's kind of how it started. But like I said, I come from a musical family on both sides. A lot of singers. I guess it kind of was natural for me to just be around music all the time. In terms of what motivates and inspires me, I, I like, every, I mean, life, the good and the bad. Like, I like listening to DJs that inspire me. I like listening to musicians that inspire me for different reasons. Uh, poets, artists, whatever, photographers. I try to pull inspiration from, I mean, anywhere I can find it and try to incorporate that into what I do musically. and five sisters, but I was the best looking one of all of them. And I'm not conceited at all. I have come to possess your mind And all the things you have in your possession I have come to free your soul You know, I remember when there was no Atlanta scene or, or whatever, like most of the stuff that I would listen to came from Decatur, where I'm from, first. You know, then we kind of heard that stuff was happening in other parts of town so that's kind of another thing that I would say uh, influenced kind of how I get down see cause they don't like to dress like I do I like to put it on I love to put it on I like to shine the song is uh, from an album that I produced with my friend Malik Oney called Not Really But Kinda. And we put it out at the top of 2020. And just as we were starting to try to tour and work the album, of course, COVID hit in March. So we weren't able to do a whole lot on it. Um, but it is available and you can get it on all streaming platforms. For us, it was just our way of paying tribute to him. Rest in peace, Lil Richard. And like I said, it's just our way of paying tribute to him and kind of taking back all of the things that he said were, was taken from him or were never given to him. So that was our little tribute when we call it uh, Richard Pennyman. I have a monthly um, residency at Rocksteady called Praise Dancing Live that's hosted by my good friend Avery Sunshine. And we play gospel house music and we also play just really inspirational, uplifting house music. 
In terms of other releases, I do have three hip-hop releases that's going to be coming out this year. Also got a remix uh, for this Pharaoh Sanders tribute situation that's coming out this year as well. I uh, did a remix for a tune called Love is Everywhere. So yeah, just be on the lookout. Uh, look forward to being out here playing records for you and yours. Peace. Like I don't mind it. I know when he saw me, he gave him confidence. Great recompense of reward, my lord. DJ Applejack and our series Speaking of Music. More information about Applejack's work, as well as our entire Speaking of series, is on our website, wabe.org slash City Lights. Ridiculous has become a positive description. Think ridiculously cool or ridiculously gorgeous. Well, now ridiculous is a positive take on the news. Ridiculous News podcast is a cool podcast with a lot of humor focused on each week's crazy headlines. Comedians, writers, and co-founders of Cool 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 Productions, Mark Kendall and Bill Worley, joined iHeartRadio to create the podcast, Ridiculous News. They cover everything from Ms. Pac-Man being inducted into the video game Hall of Fame, all the way to creating more inclusive spaces. Mark and Bill join me now via Zoom. Welcome to City Lights. Thanks so much, Lois. We really appreciate it. Yeah, it's an honor to be here. Thank you, Lois. How did you come up with the idea for Ridiculous News? Well, we're a part of a really awesome team over at iHeartMedia. Ben Bolin and Noel Brown are the creators of the podcast Ridiculous History, and that did really well. And so they started to expand the uh, ridiculous universe. And so <laughs> there are now several ridiculous podcasts. So you also have Ridiculous Romance, which is a fantastic podcast examining uh, amazing stories of romance throughout history. And that's hosted by Diana and Eli Banks. There's also Ridiculous Crime, which is a crime-based podcast. And that's hosted by Zarin Burnett and Elizabeth Dutton. And then Ben and Noel approached us about uh, creating ridiculous news. And so that's how that came about. And so Bill and I, we've been making that podcast and it's been so fun creating that with Ben and Noel as our executive producers, as well as Tari Harrison, our producer, and uh, our amazing researcher, Casey Sharon Willis. Would you take us through that research, the process, and how you decide on the topics to address each week? I mean, there's no shortage of crazy headlines to choose from. <laughs> right. I think we we work with Casey, like... Mark said, who's an amazing researcher and we'll kind of, we have a text thread going on and she'll pull some stuff that she thinks is interesting. Or if we're seeing something during the week, we will write it down. We have some Google docs and we'll say, oh, honestly, a lot of times there's, to your point, Lois, there's so many fascinating things that we have to cut a couple and pick some favorites. And it's nice because we, we, try to avoid you know the mainstream stuff and get to the fun nitty-gritty things you know like the fact that Doritos has five fewer chips per bag due to inflation you know which saves them just a little bit of money 50 million a year 
just fun stuff like that. And then going into more deeper dives about more serious topics as well, because we don't want to shy away from those things that are kind of below the fold, but need to be addressed. Mark, treating those serious topics with humor is something you've been doing for quite a while in your comedy. I'm reminded of videos you made after the murder of George Floyd and during our racial reckoning time after the pandemic began, taking down monuments. You addressed that with putting a statue of LeBron on top of Robert E. Lee. Am I remembering that correctly? Yes, Lois, you're remembering that correctly. And and that is a, a short film, a sketch that I'm so proud of. And a big part of that is because I got to make that uh, with Bill. And that's actually what makes uh, making the podcast so much fun is that, you know, we've already been making these videos together that address topics that are important to us, whether it's, you know, things that are happening in the news, things related to politics, things happening in Atlanta. And so the podcast is another great way for us to explore these topics that are sometimes serious. And something else that's really great about the podcast format in particular is that you can have a little bit more time than maybe a shorter sketch to delve a little deeper into some of those details. And depending on what the topic is and things like that, we're also able to bring in guests. We're able to bring in experts and ask them questions and, and, and talk about these topics that are so interesting to us, whether it's talking about dance, you know, we've been able to bring in the incredible dance artist and choreographer India Childs, or we've been able to talk to and say Ufad of New Georgia Project, talking to her about like, you know, the importance of elections or, or, or voting and civic engagement. And so the podcast is a great way for us to continue to explore uh, both comedy, but as well as topics and issues that are important to us. Listening back to some of your episodes, I'm reminded of when you played the roles of tone-deaf CEOs trying to embrace DEI, <laughs> and you had a special guest on that. Would you talk about that episode? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, first off, thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. And that episode, we, we were very fortunate to be joined by special guest Jamie Alilaw, who, who you know, who's a wonderful opera singer, but also works a lot in facilitating more inclusive spaces, doing work in DEI. And that was a that was a great one. We we talked a lot about a lot of great stuff in that one, Bill. Yeah, it's fun. You know, we will take the stories, and a lot of times there's just some interesting elements of it, and we'll pull in the the people from those stories and improvise or pretend what was going on behind the scenes. And in that case, you know, uh, Jamie does these amazing trainings to create inclusive spaces. And we were like, well, what was it, what is it like if you got some tone deaf CEOs and how would she handle it? And what was so impressive about that was how well she handled it. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we were just throwing stuff at the wall and she is so incredible and so cool. And I can see why she's so amazing at, at talking to folks like that. Well, and we should add, in addition to being an opera singer, she's also a comedy improv artist. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Do you ever get any pushback? I mean, just, you know, the slightest comment about, hey, you guys are playing CEOs who are talking about checking off boxes and patting yourselves on the back for it. Do you ever get any comments from listeners saying, you really shouldn't be laughing at something like this. I, 
I, I want to. I hope so. <laughs> we haven't yet. I want to. I want to. I want to get that feedback and, and hear from those folks because you know I think even like when Colbert was originally doing the Colbert Report and and people were taking him, you know, seriously as a as a right wing. Uh, person, I think that's always interesting to see other people's takes and like how are how are they digesting this information? So yeah, write us in, tweet at us, whatever. If you don't like what we're doing, let's talk it out. We'll get you on the podcast. <laughs> More importantly, I think you're going to get a lot of thumbs up and applause. I love the ridiculous news intro song for each episode oh, who created that oh my gosh lois i'm so glad that you enjoy that intro song we love it too so that's from our friend four eyes who's an amazing musician rapper he's a he's a brilliant atlanta rapper he's been in the atlanta rap scene for a long time and what, what i love about four eyes in addition to just his uh, skills as a lyricist is that he can rap in so many different genres. And by, by that, I mean, you know, he has songs out there where he's talking about like serious topics, but he can also be just like incredibly funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With amazing and crazy topics to pick and to choose, you are now tuned in to Ridiculous News. With interesting views on breaking the rules of broadcasting and all sorts of wild reports to keep us laughing. With funny, off-brand, upbeat journalism, the strange and unusual stories of what we give them. When it's all about ridiculous news everywhere, and so I thought that his voice was a perfect one to open the podcast for every episode. Oh, it is fantastic. Tell us about the weekly roundup. Sure. So that's a weekly roundup. We put that out every Thursday. And so that is an episode where we're just kind of talking about headlines that happened recently. So it's kind of like a roundup of the week. And our episodes or normally divvied up into different sections. So we'll kick things off with talking about like little news nibbles. So those are like quick, interesting headlines that caught our eye for some reason. But then we also talk about other things in weekly roundup episodes. So like we'll call our main story for that episode, the main course. We've had a chance to talk about some really interesting topics on that. For, for example, Bill, uh, you found a great story recently that we had just talked about, about, you know, a group of black mothers that had used Mushrooms, uh, experimenting with uh, mushrooms as a way to uh, heal from the, the things that they were going through in life. And it was a really interesting exploration about how this particular demographic who you don't normally hear about using that particular drug, using it. And, and it was, that was a cool uh, story or an example of something we've talked about as well. Hmm. Some hilarious characters Fictional characters join the conversation during each episode of the podcast. Are those characters following a script, or is that completely improvised? The, the, the nicest thing you could say to us, Lois, is that it sounds like they're following a script because they are, <laughs> <laughs> they are completely improvised. Uh, we've had a lot of guest appearances from, like, Batman, you know, wild CEOs uh, recently on, on a recent episode that, you know, the uh, University of South Carolina Gamecocks was is trying out a new mascot and the, the students have voted for the mascot cock commander. And so he was a visitor on the latest episode and he was not who you would think he is. It was a wonderful guest. So we just we'll pull it and, and it's all improvised. Uh, Mark is such a genius, a comedic genius and so fun to improvise with. Um, and a lot of times we'll have improvisers on the show and 
they'll be able to throw in like Jamie, for example, and they'll be able to throw in their own characters. But yeah, it's it's not scripted. It's uh, <laughs> it's it, not out of laziness. It's just us just having fun. What are some of the deep dive episodes you've explored? I loved potato chips. And um, oh, you have to go sideways <laughs> a little bit here. I know Mark went to Northwestern University. I was born and grew up in Chicago. Mark, do you remember Jay's potato chips? You know, Lois, I don't remember oh. Jay's potato chips, but I wish I did. I wish I did now. Oh, my God. I will have to get you some the next time. They're local and, you know, perfection in the form of the ideal balance of fat, salt, and carbohydrate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but you were talking about the joys of discovery and salt and vinegar. Mm -hmm. I mean, talk about the deep dive into potato chips. And was that real about the potato chip bags becoming sleeping bags for homeless people? Yeah, so that was a, this, a story that we had found about the material in bags. I guess some part of the foil insulates heat well. And so that was a form of technology that I suppose had been floated around the internet. And so there's a particular person that used that to start making sleeping bags for folks. Yeah. So it's really interesting how you find different stories related to chip bags and you go down these really interesting <laughs> tangents, you know, beyond simply just potato chips strictly as a snack, you know? Well, I had no idea that was for real. And it, it's quite <laughs> fascinating to learn that. So that's the component of ridiculous news that really you are bringing truth to light or to sound waves, I guess, in addressing these stories that are for real. Yeah. And in, in, in trying to highlight stories that are uplifting as well is also something that we try to do so, or, or for example, at the end of each episode, we have a segment that we enjoy called the spring of inspiring inspirations, because we realize that, you know, week to week, the news can bring you up or down, you know, a lot of times down more often. So we, we try, so we try to make sure that we end our episodes with a, a positive note with the spring of inspiring inspirations. But yes, also to address what you had said, earlier trying to find good, interesting information to share with our listeners. How has this podcast been enlightening? Oh, there's so many ways. I think, you know, these amazing stories that when you dive deep into them and these fascinating things that you learn about, it, it also makes it easier to have conversations meeting people, you know, because we're, you have something interesting to talk about. Like a, a, one I bring up a lot is there was a guy in Germany who got 90 COVID shots so that he could sell forged passes, which is just so bizarre and perhaps the next supervillain in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> no uh, kidding. <laughs> you know, so it's fun to learn about this stuff that's below the fold. And then getting to talk to people like Nse Ufat or Rebecca DeHart, who's you know currently helping run the Georgia Democrats. We're going to have Janine Abrams on soon, which is super exciting. And just the knowledge that they drop about, you know, civic engagement, how important that is, is always, always educational and just uh, makes me feel like I should be doing more. Yeah. I, 
I got to say the thing that's been really enlightening beyond just hearing about all the amazing stories that we do each episode is getting the chance to get to know our, our guests better and learn more about whatever it is, you know, that they are an expert on. And it's been cool because, you know, we've been able to talk to people that maybe we've known for a while, but then we talk to them about a level of, or an area of their expertise. And you learn so much more about this person, you know, for example, uh, we had on a guest, John Blowski, who's an amazing Atlanta filmmaker and actor. I've known Jonathan for a long time, but hearing about his acting process and how he goes about making films, I'm like, wow, I've learned so much more about this person or our researcher, uh, Casey Sharon Willis, who is our researcher and a brilliant podcast artist in her own right. Uh, she has a podcast called You Heard Me Right, which is amazing. You got to check it out. We invited Casey on the podcast and we're like, Casey, we'd love to do a deep dive episode with you. You can talk about whatever you want. What would you want to do? And she's just like, I want to talk about like puppet themed horror movies. <laughs> we're like, All right, cool. So, so we, so we had a deep dive episode where we really looked into like some of the more like finer satirical elements of the Chucky films, you know, and like, and I really learned a lot from that, you know, because it's like you think about Chucky as just being this, or for me, it's just like, oh, it's a it's a horror movie from the 80s that I remember. But it was really getting at some interesting issues of like commercialism and, and, and mass media that I thought was great. And I learned about Casey from that in the process, which was which was real fun. Comedians and podcast hosts, Mark Kendall and Bill Worley. More information about their new podcast, Ridiculous News, is on our website, wabe.org. Coming up, the creatives behind the Silver Scream Spook Show detail their upcoming performance and screening of the 1933 classic film King Kong. Amplifying Atlanta, this is 90.1 WABE. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for being here. This Saturday, the Silver Scream Spook Show presents the 90-year-old film King Kong at the Plaza Theater. City Light senior producer Kim Drobes has details. The Silver Scream Spook Show presents the 90-year-old film King Kong at the Plaza Theater this Saturday. In 1933, the movie secured its place in history as the first significant feature film to star an animated character. The film's use of stop motion is regarded by many as a pioneering achievement in the art form. Additionally, Max Steiner's 1933 score forever changed film music. With the help of a 46-piece orchestra, King Kong was the first film to have a thematic score rather than background music. This Saturday, you can see the classic movie on the Plaza Theater's big screen, thanks to the creatives behind the Silver Scream Spook Show. Well, hello! This is the Ghost Toast with the most, Professor Morte. 
and I created the Silver Scream Spook Show about 16 years ago. And we've been performing the show as much as inhumanly possible here in Atlanta at the Plaza Theater. Along with Professor Morte, also known as FX artist Shane Morden, are a cast of characters who perform before the film screenings. Co-producer Madeline Brumby elaborates. I play the character Guna, who is a cousin of the creature from the Black Lagoon and one of the Go-Go Ghouls. And before we project the movie we've selected on the big screen at the Plaza Theater is we have a pre-movie performance. And this performance can last anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes. And it has the visuals and the energy of something like Pee-wee's Playhouse meets the Munsters. But where we differ is not only in our budget, but also that we do not rehearse our show. It is completely improvised, except for perhaps a little bit of light rehearsal on magic tricks or some of the light cues. But we can promise what you see has never been seen before and probably will never be seen again. And at the end of every show, Professor Morte will certainly share his wealth of knowledge about the film that we are showing. And I know that he is excited to share some fun facts about the eighth wonder of the world. I chose to show King Kong for this next Silver Scream Spook Show because it's, frankly, my favorite movie. When I was just a little morte, it was the first movie I ever saw in a theater, and it put me on the course of my path to being a ghost host with the most. So here we are, and we're doing it for the 90th anniversary of the film, which I do consider the greatest fantastic film ever made. You know, we live in an age where there are big budget special effects driven movies but there would be none without the influence of the great king kong the eighth wonder of the world brumby says that the silver scream spook show has become part of atlanta's culture it's one of the few events that takes place at a theater where whole families and boils and ghouls of all ages can go have a shared experience. So many of these films are no longer being shown on a, a big screen or in a, in a theater setting. And this gives a chance for families to have this experience together and see something like a classic monster film or a science fiction from the 50s and have this magical time at the theater. Not only do they get to see a movie a lot of the time for the first time, even though these movies are sometimes 50 or 90 years old, like King Kong, but they get to have a pre-show or a live show beforehand. So it's a very unique experience. Professor Morte also teased to a surprise ATL meets NYC connection within the film. Well, Atlantans are going to have a special appreciation for this show that we're putting on at the historically haunted Plaza Theater because for years everyone's associated King Kong with New York City. But after they see our production, 
Atlantans will be proud to know that King Kong is an Atlantan. <laughs> Silver Scream Spook Show co-producers Professor Morte, a.k.a. Shane Morton, and Guna, also known as Madeline Brumby. There are two Silver Scream Spook Show screenings of King Kong on Saturday, February 4th. The kids' matinee is at 1.30, and the late-night show begins at 10. More information is on our website, wabe.org. You've been listening to City Lights, our daily exploration of arts and culture. Tomorrow at 11 a.m., Mrs. Young Hae Kim, founder of K-Wave Outreach, tells us about their inaugural event at Aurora Theater on Friday. If you missed part of today's show, like my earlier conversation with the Videodrome owner, Matthew Booth, you could catch up through our podcast or on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. There you'll find a complete archive of our stories, so you can listen to City Lights on your schedule. City Lights senior producer is Kim Troves. Our producers are Summer Evans and Janine Etter, and our engineer is Shelley Canavy. I'm your host, Lois Reitzes. Thanks for listening to WABE Atlanta. Ever wondered where to find the best dumplings in town? Curious about Atlanta's obsession with lemon pepper? Join us on Savory Stories, a new podcast as we uncover the untold tales behind Atlanta's culinary scene. From the roots of your favorite dishes to the creators that bring them to life, we're diving deep into the heart of the city's food culture. Listen to Savory Stories at wabe.org slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. W-A-B-E. Hey, y'all. I'm Mark Kendall. And I'm David Perdue. And we're the hosts of What's Good Atlanta, the new weekly comedy podcast from WABE. On What's Good Atlanta, we run down uplifting and unusual headlines from the universe known as Atlanta. And while we may not be journalists, we are comedians, and we'll be breaking down news and breaking down the stories that make you smile. We're just trying to see what's good, Atlanta. Episodes drop Fridays at WABE.org or wherever you get your podcasts. I get mine from a guy named Craig. Shout out to Craig. Mm -hmm. (laughs) W-A-B-E.